Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Dan's latest and greatest co-host, Anuja Mudali. Today, we're going to be celebrating Nutrition Month with two members of the Nutrition Services team at Michigan Medicine. Now, before they join us, be sure you go back and get caught up on any episodes of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes can also be found on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines we can review every Friday. On that note, let's bring in this week's guests, Sarah Percy and Taylor Page. First, can the two of you please introduce yourselves and explain your roles at Michigan Medicine? No problem. Thanks for joining everybody. My name is Taylor Page. I am the Associate Director for Nutrition Services. Um, the easiest way to explain my job is I essentially provide operational oversight of all of the inpatient clinical dietitians in Mott Children's Hospital and in the adult hospitals. Hi, my name is Sarah Percy. I'm the Nutrition Services Supervisor, um, and I provide direct supervision and support to our inpatient clinical dietitians. And prior to stepping into this position, which I started in October, I actually was working as an inpatient clinical dietitian. And I'll bounce off of that. Prior to my role currently as the associate director, I held Sarah's role. And prior to that, I was a pediatric dietitian. So we both are quite familiar with the nutrition services unit, um, both from the pediatric side and from the adult side. Outstanding. Now you keep saying, you know, nutrition, that word is coming up a lot. And, and earlier this week in headlines, there was a feature for RDN day on registered dietitian nutritionists at Michigan Medicine. Uh, can you explain what the role of registered dietitian nutritionists is in general? It's kind of a convoluted question, actually. And there's not really a simple answer to that. Um, I guess I can start off by um, sort of saying, I think that there's actually a pretty big misconception about what inpatient clinical dietitians do. Um, I think a lot of people, if you were to ask anyone, what does a dietitian do? They would say, oh, they teach me how to eat healthy. And that is something we definitely do, but it's a lot more complex than that. We have really, really highly specialized, highly skilled staff of 30, um, to be exact, inpatient, who provide a level of care to patients, everything from healthy eating education to providing us essentially nutrition that could be um, compounded by pharmacy and enter a patient's veins. Um, so of course, you know, as everyone is really aware, we have a very complex patient population at Michigan Medicine, and that requires us to have very skilled dietitians who are uh, an integral part of patient care and patient outcomes. And um, I think one important thing to note is Nutrition is the core of a patient's um, outcome and how they heal and how they progress throughout their length of stay when they are in the hospital. And we are a huge part of making sure that we are um, monitoring that, we're providing appropriate interventions so that patients who are treated inpatient can go home and continue those therapies to optimize their health after they're discharged. Anything to add to that? Sarah? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was quite a detailed answer, but I would agree. I just think it's a very broad profession. Um, and I, I think that most of our inpatient clinical dietitians 
have the capabilities to touch touch their patients in all of the ways that um, Taylor mentioned. So even though we do have some dietitians who are very specialized, you know, we have a ketogenic team and we have dietitians who cover um, you know, the surgical ICU or cover a neurology floor. At the same time, every single one of those dietitians is capable of providing um, diet education when needed and capable of stepping in and providing recommendations for both enteral and parenteral nutrition and assessing the patient's nutrition status. Um, and sometimes that involves making vitamin recommendations or um, a change to the diet order or um, nutrition support recommendations. So it's just a very, it's a very broad field and all of the dietitians need to be knowledgeable in all of those areas. I think you all went into some detail about how dietitians fit into patient care. Um, could you expand a little bit on that? Like how does a dietitian ensure that a patient's outcomes are uh, positive? let Sarah start with this one just because she most recently came from the inpatient clinical setting as a dietitian and then um, I'll jump in <laughs> if needed. Yeah I mean we do have some standardization of care even though we're providing individualized recommendations to each patient there is a process that we follow when we see a patient or receive a consult on a patient so, you know, the initial component is the assessment of the patient, and that can be compromised um, not only of asking the patient for a dietary recall, how have you been eating, um, but also potentially looking at some physical findings. We assess for malnutrition that may be based on muscle loss, um, subcutaneous loss of fat. It could be based on some lab values that the dietitian is looking at. So they really are looking at the full clinical picture for that patient. And then off of that assessment, a diagnosis is made. Um, and then we go on to providing our interventions, um, which may be like we had said, it could be parenteral, enteral nutrition, oral nutrition recommendations. And then we follow up. So we're not done once we provide our recommendations. We don't just sign off. We then need to follow up to see if those interventions are having a meaningful impact on the patient's nutrition status. Um, and there are, are a lot of studies to, to support nutrition status and its impact on patient outcomes and clinical outcomes. Yeah, and then the one thing I'll add to that is um, our dietitians are, are very much integrated into all of the medical teams and all of the services that um, exist in, in the adult hospitals and in the pediatric hospital. So we, we have a dietitian who literally covers every single service and they are a part of those medical teams. And so whether that means they're rounding with the medical teams daily or just touching base, um, that can vary depending on the different services, but they are heavily involved in those conversations. They're involved in any changes that are made to the patient's um, plan of care and course of stay. And then um, as a patient is approaching discharge, we communicate with case managers, we communicate with outpatient dietitians, we collaborate with outpatient dietitians, a part of the medical system very regularly, um, and we update them in terms of the status of the patient, 
if we made any interventions that will need to be routinely followed once the patient is discharged and really no longer our responsibility, but will then be the responsibility of the outpatient dietitian. So we work closely with them. We work closely with the medical team. Um, and we have, like I said before, we are really a, a big part of the patient's um, plan of care and course of stay. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that and, and how involved you are with the patients. And so that sort of begs the question that obviously the last two years have been hard on everybody. Um, can you explain a little bit what sort of changes were made during the pandemic with the RDNs, especially the inpatient RDNs, to ensure safety while allowing them to still assist patients and staff members? Yeah, so when COVID hit full-fledged, uh, what seems like now, a long time ago, a couple of years ago only, but um, we made changes actually quite immediately. So we were fortunate enough to have the resources to allow nearly an 100% of our staff to work remotely. Um, that did not happen overnight, but I can say that happened within a matter of days. So we were able to supply laptops to dietitians. We were able to create a tip sheet of how to connect with patients remotely, um, call into their rooms, which is nothing new. We do that when we're on site as well, but call into the rooms, make sure those lines are secure, make sure everything is secure from a HIPAA standpoint and regulation. Um, we did it actually quite seamlessly and we needed to do that one to keep our staff, staff safe and healthy, but also to make sure that we retained the staff that we had to be able to have the workforce to take care of our patients. And so we have actually, for the past two years, we've continued to work remotely and we have fluctuated the staff we have on site and the staff we have remote, kind of just based off of the trends and the guidance by the institution. Um, right now we have about 50% of staff on site and 50% remote, which is going great. Um, ideally, we'd love to have everyone come back on site and that will be our plan once we kind of get the all clear and go uh, ahead to move in that direction. But I have to say, um, there's definitely been some major learnings from being able to work remotely. Um, and we've done a really great job at it. And I think we've, uh, from a leadership perspective, we've kept a lot of our staff um, safe and healthy. Yeah, and just jumping off of that too is sort of a testament to the dietitians as well and their ability to communicate within their teams. Um, when we do have someone on site and part of the team working remotely, um, the dietitians are frequently, you know, in contact with each other. And if there is a situation where a dietitian working remotely really needs uh, a one-on-one, -on -one, a face-to-face -face interaction with a patient, they can call on the on-site patient as needed or the on-site RD as needed, sorry. Um, so I think like their ability to work as a unit and as a team has made uh, um, working remotely possible as well. Yeah, huge, huge credit to them. They have figured it out. Um, and it's been really, like I said, quite, quite seamless. Thank you so much for your efforts, especially during COVID times. I know it's been an adjustment for all of us. Um, what is the one thing that surprises people the most about registered dietitians and the work that they do? What have you encountered? Uh, well, I mean, I can say just from sort of 
being in the clinical world uh, recently, I just think even from a patient perspective, a lot of times when you walk into a room and you say, I am the dietitian, they immediately think that you're there to say you can't have, you know, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. And typically in an inpatient setting, it's the exact opposite. We want to know that you are eating well, or you are able to eat. And if you're not able to eat, how are we going to get you the nutrition? And so we're usually there in the exact opposite capacity that most patients think. Um, so they're often quite surprised um, once we start explaining our role in their care um, that, that we're there actually to encourage, um, encourage their nutrition and help them to achieve their nutrition goals um, in whatever capacity that is while they're admitted here with us. Yeah, I think it was interesting, you know, when we asked um, some RDNs for the headline story that that ran earlier this week, you know, they said, everyone thinks that we're the, the food police and we're not. Yeah. And the other quote that really stuck with me is that every calorie is a good calorie, right? Especially when you're trying to recover and you're trying to, you know, overcome some sort of health setback, every calorie you can get is, is positive, right? And can be used for good. Um, are there yeah. any other sort of major misperceptions that, that your field tends to, to face? I, from a misperception standpoint, I guess I would just, uh, you know, reiterate the fact that we are a lot more than just eat broccoli and cauliflower. <laughs> um, a lot more than that when you're speaking to inpatient clinical nutrition. It's, it's very different for a variety of reasons, but even just from a perspective when I'm meeting someone new and they ask what I do and I say I'm a dietitian and that's their initial response, but I further explain to them about the complexity of what that means and what I'm able to do and what I know, there's always a response that's like wide-eyed. They're surprised and have, they have no idea what enteral nutrition is or parenteral nutrition is. And maybe people listening to this don't either. <laughs> but it is food that goes through a tube or food that goes through a vein when a patient's GI is perhaps compromised or if a patient is not able to eat food orally. And um, we, we prescribe that in a lot of ways. Like we come up with what your calorie, protein, fat goals are, your macro micronutrients. We figure all of that out based on individual, um, individualized uh, patients. So that looks really different for a patient who might be intubated with a traumatic brain injury in the ICU, as opposed to a patient who um, may have just had I don't delivered know. a baby, somebody who just delivered a baby. Yeah, yeah right. somebody who just delivered a baby. Like those are two very different things, right? So, or like a basic um, type two new diabetic who just needs some diabetes education. Those are very different things. And all of our dietitians know how to do all of those things. So we provide cross coverage for each other, which means you need to be skilled in more than just the services you provide coverage to on a daily basis. You need to know it all. Um, and knowing it all is a lot more than just, like I said, eating broccoli and cauliflower. It's a lot more complex. So that's always just a big misperception. Um, that I experience, uh, even just like out in the real world talking to people. Can I ask what yeah. sort of training goes into becoming an RDN? Oh yeah, so if you wanna know a funny story, <laughs> so Sarah and I go a little ways back. Oh we, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> this is actually a second career for both of us. Sarah was in theater back in the day. I had a communications degree and was working in pharmaceutical advertising. And we both decided we had an interest and passion for nutrition and dietetics was um, both our second bachelor's degrees. And that's where we met about 10 years ago. I feel like oh, it's, it's a dating story. <laughs> um, about nine or 10 years ago, we both started taking prerequisite classes at Eastern Michigan University in order to apply to their coordinated dietetic program, um, which basically essentially is you are in academics and you're in coursework, but you're also um, in an internship at the same time. So you have to complete so many hours of an internship, which involves everything from community, food service, clinical, entrepreneurship, you have to complete all those. You have to complete different competencies. And then um, once you complete that, you are eligible to sit for uh, what is called the RDN exam, which in some ways, I guess you could compare it a little bit to like what the nurses take for boards, maybe not quite as intense, but it, we do have to be credentialed. Um, we have to pass this exam and it's a requirement so that we're registered. So yeah, Sarah and I both went through that together some years ago now. Yep. And starting in 2024, the requirement will actually be a master's degree for registered dietitian nutritionists. Um, so we have a lot of dietitians on staff who have been working towards their master's um, while working as a dietitian, or, you know, some dietitians have come into Michigan medicine already with their master's degree, but um, that will be a requirement in just a few years here. Yep. Great. Thank you so much for that background information. So I'm going to switch a little bit um, as it is nutrition month, and I'm actually going to go off script just a little bit um, as it is nutrition month. Uh, and we are facing a world where everybody is busy, lives are hectic and multiple things to manage for people at all levels. What are one or two things that you would recommend people focus when they're thinking about their nutrition in our busy world? Yeah, so my favorite tip when I get asked in the elevator, which happens a lot here, actually, people see the big, you know, dietitian badge. And, oh, you're a dietitian. What, you become very I popular, eat? huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just always like to tell people if they're looking to make, you know, any type of nutrition change in their lives. As long as you're, you know, generally healthy person and you're not having to follow some sort of therapeutic diet, I would recommend that you add in rather than cut out. So that's my favorite um, little one-liner tip that I provide on the elevator, that rather than cutting out foods that you love, add a food in that's healthy for you. And that if you continue to add in foods that are healthy for you, eventually over time, that core diet is going to change. Um, and I think that's just more sustainable than, you know, picking a fad diet, and, you know, completely overhauling everything overnight. Um, but that's just my favorite tip. Do you have a favorite tip, Taylor? I don't have tips, but <laughs> if I had to have a tip <laughs> for the sake of answering this question, um, I think I would probably just say, uh, trying to be mindful about what you eat because 
people are busy. Everyone has, you know, different, a different lifestyle. And um, I think it's really easy to let food and what you are putting into your body get away from you. And, you know, you might have one bad week, but that one bad week of being really not mindful about what you're eating can turn into a month or can turn into two months and this like really spiral down from there. So I think if you are just consciously aware of what you're eating, I think it's easier to make small changes for the long term. That's great. Well, thank you so much to the two of you for joining us today and sharing your insight. If you want to hear even more from RDNs at Michigan Medicine, be sure to check out the recent story at mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. (laughs) Sarah, remember you agreed to this? So each episode, we ask our guests four quickfire questions that they have not seen as part of our lightning round. These are not hard. I think you can handle this. So Sarah, are you ready to go? I'm probably as ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) Excellent. All right. So we know you were in theater. What would be your dream role to play? Oh, well, you know what? My dream role I actually played, it was the first play I ever did that made me fall in love with theater. And it was Miss Hannigan and Annie. All right. Keeping with the nutrition theme, if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, I guess it's the same meal every day, what would it be? Enchiladas. Oh, you were quick on that answer. You knew that one. <laughs> Fully support that one. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a margarita on this. One. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the weather is getting, I guess, slightly warmer this time of year. What's the first thing you plan to do outdoors once spring really arrives? Uh, go for a really long bike ride on the trail that runs through um, my community. It like goes on forever and ever, and I can put my AirPods in and listen to a podcast like The Wrap, and I can just, you know, ride my bike forever out in the out in the outdoors. I love being outside. That's great. That's a great idea. I think the rap is the best thing to listen oh, to. Oh, absolutely. You can listen that. hours on end. Hours on end. All right. So we're just a few weeks away from the Oscars. What would you say your favorite movie of all time is? Oh, wow. That's a rough one, but I'm just going to go off the top of my head. The first thing that entered was 16 Candles, and I'm probably really dating myself, but um yeah you feel that it's a good one deep ryan that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) that's awesome well thank you so much sarah and taylor for joining us today once again if you want to learn more about rdns and the work they do at michigan medicine be sure to go to mmheadlines.org that's mmheadlines.org and while you're there check out some of the other featured stories from this past week For instance, there was a closer look at how some areas in the organization are embracing hybrid work, and Headline celebrated International Women's Day with a Q&A with women leaders across Michigan medicine. Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org. All right, Anuja. Now, our loyal listeners and viewers may recognize your voice, but only if they've been tuning into the rap for several years, because I think you were last on about three years or so. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the role you play at Michigan Medicine? Yes, I was here a few years ago, around the same time, actually. I am the communications manager for the Office of Patient Experience and the University of Michigan Medical Group, but I also support quite a bit of internal communications, which is why I'm here with you, Dan, doing the wrap. Um, And it's been a great few years in this role. 
Yeah, excellent. Now, it's been longer that you've been part of the university as a whole. Uh, what has kept you here as you progress through your career? I think overall, I just believe in the mission of the university and Michigan Medicine. It improves lives. It helps people expand upon their lives. And I just fully support that and anything I can do to help people move forward. Uh, it's, it's an honor to work here. All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Last episode, we asked listeners, how many faculty, staff, and learners make up adult emergency services? The answer is about 450. Congratulations to Carrie Wickersham, an admin specialist in plastic surgery, who sent in the correct answer. Now for this week's question, here's Anuja. This week's question is, how many RDNs are there across the organization? Once again, how many RDNs are there across the organization? You can find the answer in this week's headline story. And once you know it, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much, Sarah and Taylor, for joining us. And thanks, as always, to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.